Today, in honor of Pride Month, Prairie Public presents another episode of Breaking Barriers, Harvesting LGBTQ Stories on the Northern Plains, a podcast based on the Red River Rainbow Seniors Oral History Project. In this excerpt, Lyle Halverson interviews Kevin Tengestall, a graphic designer and activist from Bismarck. Well, you know, growing up in the 70s in rural North Dakota, out on the farm, there just wasn't any knowledge about homosexuality. And then growing up with all of the cousins and aunts and uncles around, I was just completely immersed in heterosexuality. And friends that I had in school, you know, they were all sneaking away, you know, Playboy magazines, Hustler magazines, Penthouse, and I was like, it doesn't interest me at all, and I I never, in high school, never really understood why I felt this way and everything, and for all I knew, I was the only one that ever thought this way, so I figured I probably was abnormal or broken, because the atmosphere that I grew up in with the fundamentalist background, you know, back then there was a lot of talk of hellfire and damnation for homosexuals and that was just one of the religious things that was drilled into me. So at that time I quote unquote knew that it was a sin that was good and it sent me straight to the pits of hell so I did everything possible you know to try to ignore it when I was in high school and everything. And then when I was in college at Minot State was when I started, you know, experimenting around and stuff. But I just figured it. It was experimenting and playing around. And it wasn't, at that time, I didn't claim it as an identity or anything. As far as, you know, like in high school, I was bullied a lot or teased a lot. So... What's your relationship like now with your family? Um, it varies. I mean, like I said, coming from such a huge family, I mean, go from the complete acceptance and welcome and everything and inclusion to I do have siblings and their spouses who do not speak to me uh, because of their, I can only guess because of their extreme fundamentalist beliefs and everything and so so yeah um it's it's been a growing process i mean i've been fully completely out to the world since 04 and you know it took me you know almost 40 years to finally accept myself as myself and so i figured you know just give them the chance to learn and grow as well and past couple of years some of them have kind of mellowed out because you know we're all realizing (laughs) we're getting older and not getting younger so so yeah I take what I can get and I try to give what I can give and if it's not received I just have to live with my chosen family so so Talk to them about your faith. You grew up in a religious family. Mm-hmm. You just talked about some yeah. of your siblings. Um, grew up in the Lutheran church. Faith, it, for me personally, is 
my life force. I mean, it's my source of living. Um, I pretty much um, rely upon God's grace and mercy because so many fundamentalist Christians in my life have given only condemnation and everything for what they don't understand. So that's why I cling to my faith in Christ and which puts me, especially here in North Dakota, in a awkward spot because I'm too gay for the religious community in North Dakota and then it seems like I'm too religious for the gay community in North Dakota. And so <laughs> that's where I'm stuck. <laughs> my intent for college was applying with Wycliffe Bible Translators and being a missionary with them. Part of their application process is a month-long uh, immersion type thing out in California where you basically, it was for a month we were living like we were on the mission field and doing translation work and it was all part of the application process. Well, somehow they found out with my uh, Navy record of being assaulted by a guy that, you know, homosexuality is not conducive or cohesive or whatever with their mission. And so they terminated my application right before my final senior year at Columbia Bible College. So I went back to my senior year having absolutely no clue. Now what am I going to do? So, so yeah, I uh, graduated in 97 and 22 years later, I'm a graphic designer. So, so talk about the military and how mm -hmm. you ended up in the Navy and what happened. Yeah. Um, truth be told, summer of 86 was when Top Gun came out and that really pushed, piqued my interest in joining the Navy. And so I had wanted to be a pilot because of Top Gun and that seemed really cool. But my vision wasn't up to snuff and it was not even good enough for air traffic control. And so they uh, geared me towards the, the skill of operations specialist, which is basically a scoped out radar watcher. And then February of 88, I was home, back home to North Dakota on harp duty, which is helping the uh, Navy recruiter up at Dakota Square in Minot. And at that time was when I was sexually assaulted, ended up in the ER, and then the Minot Police Department uh, convinced me to file a report because apparently this guy had been doing the exact same thing. Nobody else was filing a report. And I wasn't going to file a report because it would get back to the Navy. Minot Police Department swore up and down it would not get back to the Navy. Well, I got back to the ship, and I was called to the chaplain's office, and yeah, the Police Department had contacted the captain of my ship, and for my own safety, they started discharge proceedings, but first had to spend 
two weeks in the naval psych ward to find out my mental stability or whatever it was because I guess at that time even though the American psychology said that you know homosexuality isn't a you know deviant behavior or whatever the Navy hadn't caught up to that at that point so uh, after the two weeks there then March of 88 I signed my discharge paperwork um, honorable discharge via administrative separation due to personality disorder for the convenience of the government with no chance of re-enlistment and then I was escorted off base by two military police and flew back to North Dakota and tried to explain to people that I'm now a civilian after you know just being back there and telling them how I was going to be doing Navy until I retired and so so 88 was a major trauma in my life so yeah I mean that must have been not only a huge disappointment but also Mm -hmm. and I was only you know 22 and you know relatively naive to the world and everything so and then after I was discharged I was back in North Dakota and I was living with an aunt at the in Minot and working at odd jobs and everything and May of 88 um, I ended up with another guy and I basically just panicked because you know that had destroyed my Navy career and I knew that it was completely offensive to God and everything and so uh, Memorial Day weekend of 88 was my first attempt at suicide and ended up in the ER and then eventually I don't know if it was a week or two weeks at the state hospital in Jamestown so from 88 to about 2000 I just spent living a trying to live a holier-than-thou pious lifestyle Um, just really self internalized homophobe and did as much denying as possible and everything so um, yeah it was it was difficult growing up in rural North Dakota thinking that I was the only one but come to find out that there was a another guy who's like about four years younger than I and he was going through the exact same thing at the same high school and everything but I mean back in the 80s you just didn't talk about that stuff and it, heaven forbid you even talk to anybody else about it and everything so and then the friends that I figured that I was closest with in high school um, after I finally come out and living authentically and everything and oh yeah we knew that in high school I'm like why didn't you tell me so I would have known what was going on but of course back in the 80s you just didn't talk about it and everything and so (laughs) so can you talk about when you came out and that process well actually there were basically three different periods in my life that I came out Um, the first time was after 
um, the assault in 88 because I was in the ER for the weekend and the pastor of the church that I had been attending when I was at Minas State College uh, he drove me out to the family farm and dad he's your he was your typical stoic Norwegian farmer and everything never really showed any emotions or anything well at his place at the kitchen table he had two radios always on one was like tuned to the TV channel as well and then at the counter beside there he had a police scanner always going so always had those three devices going and so when I started talking to them about everything dad reached over and turned off the two radios reached over turned off the police scanner and to me that spoke 10,000 words just showed how in tune how connected he was and everything in around about 2000 I'd say um, mom was giving me the inkling that she wanted to pay off my student loans uh, because that was what I was telling people why Wycliffe Bible translators had terminated my application because I was too far in debt with student loans and she kept on pressing this issue and finally one weekend after I had gone back to Minot I called my sister who was mom's 24-7 caregiver and I asked her I said you know I'm getting the feeling that mom wants to pay off my student loans so that I can go to the mission field and so my sister confirmed that yeah she had been talking about that so I finally had to tell my sister that it's not because of the student loans that they terminated my application it was because quite frankly I'm gay and that was the first time I think that I've really finally acknowledged for myself and then the third and final time that I finally just broke down the closet doors and shattered them was in October of 04 when North Dakota had the ballot initiative for the marriage amendment and everything and I had written a letter to the editor and sent it to all the papers in the state um, advocating for you know equal marriage and I had concluded the letter with something along the effects of as a Christian who is gay well yeah that did not go very well with my siblings because uh, it was like about a week or two after that um, I was back up to the farm for an aunt's funeral and it was at that time one of my brothers let me know that the family was upset because I had let the family secret out of the closet I'm like um, everybody knows anyway but so apparently that was the major sin there um, they were mad at me because now the whole town knew that they had a brother who is gay and how they could face the town folk after that fact and everything and um, 
that was when I started my LGBT advocacy and haven't looked back. So that letter to the editor was your first like thing that you ever did to advocate mm -hmm. on behalf of LGBT. Yep. And I mean, the early years of my advocacy, yeah, it was all, you know, concerned for myself, my generation and everything. But now, as the years have gone on, I mean, my testifying here in uh, 19 at the legislature is basically looking to the future for our younger generation. Because, I mean, I want them to be able to have an authentic life in their youth. A lot of kids in high school, they don't feel safe to live open and authentically until they go to college in Fargo or out of state and then they, you know, start living out at that time. And here, you know, four of their formative years have been in the closet when they could actually be living open and free and everything. And so I think, you know, fighting for the fair labor and housing laws and everything would give these kids security in knowing that they won't be discriminated against, that they won't be treated harshly for being gay and everything. And I think that would also, you know, end up helping, especially with, you know, emergency mental health and everything. Because you've got so many gay youth who grow up in rural North Dakota who have absolutely no access to any mental health providers, therapists, or anything. And they're probably, you know, growing up in a conservative household. And, you know, closest, you know, mental therapist would be an hour or two away and dad and mom won't let them have the car, dad and mom won't take them to a therapist, they don't have anybody to talk to, so I don't know <laughs> what the future holds for myself personally, but I've I've had a pretty decent life, and I'm hoping that the, the younger generation, the future generations, can have it better than I did. That was Kevin Tengestall in conversation with Lyle Halverson as part of the Red River Rainbow Seniors Oral History Project on Prairie Public.